All right, Lucas, get us started. Number one. I need fell from blank in chapter three. Yep. What's blank? Innocence. Yeah, fell from innocence. Right. Innocence. Innocence. All right, Lana, give us number two and three, please. The serpent blank to Eve, and she was blank. Yep. Right, what you got? I put lied and deceived. Yep, you are correct. Lied and deceived. Good. Jack, what do you got for number four? Number four, the serpent is the blank, or the blank, a fallen angelic being. Yep, pretty easy. The devil, or the Satan. Yep, yep. And what does the Satan mean? Does anyone remember Satan? It's the adversary. Go ahead and write that down somewhere on there to help you remember. It's the adversary. So that's why we're putting... Yeah, go Bryson. If I put deceiver for would that count? As opposed to... The devil? Yeah, I'll give you half credit. Yeah. God's oral command created a blank and blank for Adam and Eve. What'd you get, Lucas? Uh, I put moral choice. Yes, a moral choice. Right. The word moral is the idea of what and what? <clears throat> right and Yeah, moral is the idea of right and wrong. So when we put the immoral in front of the I am, we're talking about that which is wrong. Wrong, right, that which is wrong. All right, six. Bethany, six. Sure, folks. God said you cannot look or touch the fruit on the tree of knowledge of the knowledge of good and evil, and I put false. Yeah, that's false. Good. Pepper, number seven. Sure, false. Eve believed a lie instead of trusting what Adam said to her concerning the one prohibit, prohibition God gave them in the garden. And what do you got? False. False? Is she right? What'd you all put down? Sure. Yeah, what'd you put down? Why'd you put down pepper? Uh, why'd you put down false? What were you thinking was false about it? Well, I said to her and I was thinking Adam didn't say anything when she was eating. Oh, I see. Yeah, this is talking about the information she received ahead of time from Adam, not the moment in which he failed to be the leader. Bryson, number eight. True or false? Spiritual death occurred in the garden, and physical death began to reign as each human moved one day closer to dying. I put true. Good. Yep. Number nine. <coughs> Who did Adam ultimately blame for his sin with this statement? The woman who whom you have given to me, God. Yeah, yeah. It's your fault, God. It's your fault, God. Yep, it's your fault. Okay. Ten and eleven. Blank and blank entered the world from the fall of man. Sin and death. Yep, sin and death. Sin and death. Correct. Sin and death. Okay. Jack, number 12 and 13, please. Yeah, God had not blank, and now the man will have to blank. Yep. And I have God had not lied, and now man will have to die. Yep, you are correct. Jaden, you have not said a thing. Let's get started with you. 14 and 15. Showing blank leaps together to cover their blank represents humanity's effort to please God by works of righteousness. Mm-hmm. Fig leaves and nakedness. Yeah, you are correct. Do you have 100% so far? Yes. I do. Yeah, you do as well. Jack, you do as well. Landed? I did. Almost. I didn't put in a question. Yeah. 
question. Oh, the innocence? Yep. All right, Bethany, go. Sure, false. From Genesis 3, we see it was God's plan for a man to rule over a woman. I bet true. From Genesis 3, we see it was God's plan for a man to rule over a woman. Where do we see it from? It's the Ooh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Okay. So what did y'all put down? Did you put true or did you put false? I put false. Okay, why did you put false? Well, that there would be strife between the two. En enmity issues? Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Is it true or is it false? Uh, you just want to know whether it's true or false. That's it. That just gives the facts. From Genesis 3, we see that it was God's plan for man to rule over a woman is false. Right, we don't see it from Genesis 3. Okay, all right, 17, Bryson. God showed Adam and Eve mercy when he exiled them from Eden. True. What? True. You are correct, true, right. How so? He could have killed them in the middle. Yeah, he could have killed them, what else? Oh, so they wouldn't have to live forever in their sin? Yes, exactly, yep, good. 18. Who's got it, Bethany? Who's got it? The first promise of good news in Genesis 3.15 is called the blank evangelium. It's proto. Proto, right. Like a prototype, the first. All right, two more. 19 and 20. Pepper, go. Sure, false. Sure, false. Childbearing is going to be somewhat hard for you, regardless of the fall. False. False. Yep. Yep. And then Anna, pick it up. 20. True or false? Work is the result of the curse. The text says by the sweat of the brow. I put false. You are correct. Why did you choose false? Because I mean, they have to work either way to take care of the animals and themselves. Okay. Yeah. But I want you to think about chapter 2. And in chapter 2, do we have work? Yes, because you have to work hard. Yep. I was going to say because yeah, absolutely. All right, five points apiece. Give yourself a score. Give yourself a score. Five points apiece. Give yourself a score. Jaden? 95. What happened? Um, I played true for number 16. True for 16. Yeah, okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about that because that's a great issue. Uh -huh. All right. Jack, how'd you do? Got a 90. I missed 16 and 19. All right, 19. Childbearing was going to be somewhat hard for Eve regardless of the fall. Text says God would multiply her pains, and it makes me think she would still have some, but yep. not much. Oh. That was my reasoning, too. Not bad. All right, I'll take that. Sure. Great. I love that. I'll uh, take so that. It's correct, then? Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll go either one on that. Good job. That's that's a thought I hadn't had, so good job, Jack. Yeah. And I got 100%. Nice. <laughs> All right, let's go. Get them collected. Pass them over to somebody. Get them collected. Yeah. 
Somebody take the leadership role and get them collected. Give me all. It's just the last one who has to go in there. I think they're mine. I guess it's going to be hard. Dang it. All right. Dang it. Give it all the ink. Pull your article out on the fall. Pull your article out on the fall. Pull your article out on the fall. Okay, Jack, give me one thing that happens in chapter number one. One thing in chapter number one. Genesis one, one thing in chapter one. God creates the heavens and the earth. Yeah, good. All right, go, Jaden. Another thing for chapter one. God gives man dominion. Yeah. All right, go, Lucas. Another thing for chapter one. Um, things declared as very good. All right, good. Bryson, chapter one. God creates animals. Yep, good pepper. Go. Uh, God creates sky. Did you say God creates God? No, <laughs> sky. Oh, sky. Good. God creates man. Man, yep. Go, chapter one. God creates woman. Chapter one. Um, God gives the animals. Um, The procreate man mandate. The procreate mandate. Be fruitful and multiply. He separates the waters and the lakes. All kinds of separating happening. Separating happens on what days? One through three. Yeah, one through three. So all focus on separating. Until the very end of day three in which God makes what? Come on, y'all. Plants. Yes, plants. That's correct. Day four. What happens? Day four, what do we start doing? The heavenly bodies are created. Yeah, we start filling, filling all these expanses that we have created through separation. Now we're filling them, okay? Day five, what's in the filling? Birds and, what? Birds and fish. Yep, day six, what's in the filling? Everything else. Yeah, all the land animals, the mammals, the humans, all that. Very good. Day seven is transitioning us to where? To chapter 2. Right. Who can remember the Hebrew word toledoth? What was the significance of that? Pepper. It means generations. Yeah, generations. This is the toledoth of the... What's the very first toledoth, Jaden? Can you remember? Heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth. Okay. And so we argued earlier that that toledoth word is where the chapter break what? Should be. Should be. Exactly. Which means verses... Two, one, two, and three should really be where? In chapter one. In chapter one. That's correct. In chapter two starts with the Toledoth of the heavens and the earth. All right, what was the significance of day seven, Bryson? What was the significance of day seven? God rested and he didn't need to do this example. Okay. All right, we move to chapter number two. Couple big things happening in chapter two. What are they? All right, go back. Evie, go. He gives uh, Adam the breath of life. Yeah, he breathes into Adam the breath of life. So is this when he's actually doing it or what's happening in chapter two? Because I thought we said that God created man on day six. So how would you explain to something what's happening in chapter two? Go. 
I like to think that for like chapter one, he made up the conception of man, and then he created him in chapter two. Well, like created him on day six, but showed breathing life into him in chapter two. Okay. Anybody else? It adds more detail. Yes, right. It adds more detail. So I like to think of it, if we're talking about ways we like to think of it, is imagine for a moment that I make these rectangles right here, and each rectangle represents what? One, two, three, four, five, six. Does that help you? So what's each box represent, each square represent? What are you laughing about, Lucas? You don't like my rectangles? You want better <laughs> ones? squares. Oh, sorry. They're squares. Thank you. Okay. I said rectangle because I don't know that they're exactly the same. You know what I mean? So um, a square has to be. You okay, Lucas? Pull it together now. He called them circles. <laughs> you guys are so difficult. <laughs> All right. Looks like a rectangle. Now what, Landon? <laughs> Alright. Alright, now, this is day what? Six. And what are the things that we know happen on day six? Yeah. And so chapter two is like this. You've seen it where there's a small picture, and then what do they do? They take it and what do they do with it? Blow it up. They blow it up. And now we're gonna get some details. Right, we're going to expand some details. And the first thing that we learn about man from day six is what? That he's a combination of dust and the breath of life. So he has a physical component to him. And what else does he have? A spiritual component. And where's that spiritual component come from? Soul. Where's it come from? What's the origin of it? God, right, yeah, the heavens. He breathed in him the breath of life. So this is the marriage of heaven and what? And earth. Okay, maybe you're struggling with what I'm saying. Does God have an earthly component to him? No. Why does God not have an earthly component to him? Because God created the what? The earth. The earth, right. So the, did God pre-exist the earth? Yes, God existed before the earth. Okay, did Adam pre-exist the earth? No. So Adam has this union of earth and heaven. Like Adam was meant to be with God in heaven. Yet Adam is the product of the earth. He's made from what? Dust. He picks up the dust of the earth. Is it, is it the actual physical dust? No, he's not a clay object. So what does the dust represent? What does the dust it's represent? Not a spirit, it's a physical thing. Yes, but what does the dust in particular? What is your body made up of? Stones. No, even be, behind that, the, the ultimate building blocks. Cells. Even be, behind that. Atoms. Behind that, what, we have this periodic table. I know you guys know this periodic table. No? <laughs> well, I mean, I haven't memorized everything. No, but you're aware of it, right? Yes. All right, what does the periodic table have on it? What are some of the things that are on it? Gases. Carbon and hydrogen and all these things. Well, those same things that the earth are made up, who's made up? You. You are that thing. We say H2O. What's H2O? 
Yeah, but what are the, what's the H and what's the O? Hydrogen. Exactly, hydrogen and oxygen. It's a building block of all that we know. Well, that's the dust. That's the dust. You follow me? What's the breathing in? That's the whole spiritual component. Okay, lions don't have conversations with each other about what are you thinking about? Have you ever thought about eternity? Have you ever thought about living beyond this earth? Have you ever thought about where you come from and what your purpose in life is? A lion knows what its purpose in life is. It's to reproduce and to kill so that it can keep on what? Living. And I can go on and on with examples of that. So we get this heaven and earth in chapter 2. This toledoth, this making of a breathing the health. What else do we find out? Man is creating God's image. No, in chapter 1 we found that out. What else do we find in chapter 2? That man was like his father and mother. What? That man yes, at the very end. Start families. Come on, there's a lot in chapter 2. You guys should be here a lot better than we are right now. What else is there? Why was Eve created? Because it wasn't good for Adam to be alive. That's right. So we have this declarative statement from God that says this is not good that you're alone. Okay, what else do we have going on in chapter 2? God made those. I mean, Adam made those. Right, we have this exercising of dominion over the animals. And how did we exercise dominion? By naming them. By naming them. Could God have done that? Yes, but he delegated that task to who? Adam. To Adam. Establishing Adam's authority over what? Yeah, over the earth. Okay, what else does God give Adam? Yes, that's from the not, not good. He gave him That's right. So we have our order slightly off. What else happens? God gives Adam a moral choice. Yes, he gives him a moral choice. What else happens? Does Adam have responsibilities towards the garden in chapter 2? Yes. Yeah, he has to dress it, keep it, work it. So is work a result of the fall? No. No. Work existed before the fall. Work will exist after in the new creation. Work is a part of? God's plan. Yeah, God's plan. Part of life. Right, so we have this entire garden mandate to dress it, keep it, work it. Then we move to chapter number three. And what happens in chapter three? The fall. The fall. And this is a very big deal. So get out your fall article. Jack, start us off with the first paragraph. In Genesis 1 to 2, God created the heavens and the earth, including Adam and Eve. In chapter 2, the Lord, or Yahweh, God, commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. Verse 16 through 18. The presence of this tree and the oral commandment not to eat it, for not to eat from it, created a moral choice for both Adam and Eve to obey or not to obey. That was a question until the serpent asked Eve another question. Okay, let's pause for just a minute. One of the most difficult concepts to conceive of, one of the absolute 
most difficult concepts to reconcile, to, to hold in your hands and deal with is you are, I am a moral being that has the ability to make choice and God has sovereignly ordained the end from the beginning. The reconciliation of God's sovereignty over humanity, okay, and the legitimacy of the choices that you make. Because some would say, well, if God's already preordained everything from the start to the end, then aren't I just a robot exercising God's plan? Okay, how many of you ever played chess before? Okay, so good. A bunch of homeschoolers know how to play chess. Okay? Have you ever had a conversation with the queen and yourself concerning what the queen thinks her next move needs to be and what you intend for the queen to do? Have you ever had, Bryson, you've had that conversation? The queen turns around, looks back up at you and says to you, I think I should go forward three squares. And you're like, no, I have no intent for you to go three squares. You're going diagonally along the white line and you guys have an argument to you and the queen. It happens every time, Pepper says. All right, what is the point of me bringing up the chessboard illustration for just a moment here? What correlation am I trying to get you guys cognitively to connect to? I want you thinking right now on a deeper level. Who's playing chess? I am. Yes, in the illustration you are. But are you the chess player or are you the queen on the board? What? Chess player. Land. I'm making a parallel. Let's make sure that we grasp this. I'm trying to get you guys to think about what I'm saying. I'm the little pawn on the chessboard. And God is moving his chess pieces according to how he sees fit. But on the chessboard, the chess pieces have no moral choices. They move where? Where you put them. Where you put them. But wait a minute, in chapter number three, in chapter number two, do we see Adam and Eve having a legitimate choice? Yes or no? Yes. Yes. They could eat or not eat. Right. They could have told Satan to pound sand. They could have said, talk to the hand. They could have chosen to obey what? God instead of themselves. Yet we know that God has ordained the end from the beginning. What we don't conceive of is how ordained. What do I mean by how ordained? There are some things that will happen whether we like it or not, but other things we get to choose. Exactly. And where does that line, where, who defines that line, Lucas? And how narrow is that line? And how defined is that line? Like, did you choose the color of the jacket or the clothing you're wearing today and the outfit, the choice you made? Or did God sovereignly choose that before the foundation of the world? You see where I'm going with this? Because we know God has chosen those who would be saved. Yet the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord can be what? Saved. Yet the Bible's clear, God has chosen who will be saved. These are really hard things. 
and theologians and philosophers from the beginning of time have racked their brain on these things trying to reconcile the tension between God's sovereign rule over the universe and the legitimacy of the choices I make. You understand how I'm using the word legitimacy? They, they legitimately made a choice. They chose to disobey God. First Eve and then Adam. Now, let's pause for just a minute because in, from our quiz, we had a question and the question dealt with Number 16, from Genesis 3, we see it was God's plan for man to rule over a woman. Okay? Turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter number 2. This is a very difficult, controversial, everyone's not going to agree that watches this YouTube video issue. In chapter number one, I mean, 1 Timothy chapter number two, look around verse number 12, 11, somewhere around there. Paul's talking about the relationship between men and women. He says in verse 11, a woman is to learn quietly with full submission. In verse 12, Paul writes, I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet. In verse 13, for Adam was first formed, then Eve. Now, what argument did Paul just make here? What argument is Paul making? Can you see what argument Paul's making here? What what point he's trying to communicate here? That woman should have authority over Right, and what do you think the context of that argument is? Do you think do you think that's a platoon on Fort Liberty? What is do you think that's the uh, shift at Chick-fil-A? What context do you think Paul is most concerned about? What? Yeah, I would say the church is the context that Paul is most concerned about. The church. And the reason I would say that is look at chapter number 3. He rolls right into, this is a saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. An overseer therefore must be above reproach. And he starts talking about the qualifications of an elder in the church. And then he moves to the qualifications of a deacon in verse number 8. And, he, and then in chapter number five, he's talking about what widows the church is going to provide for. And then chapter number 17, I mean, 517, he talks about elders. So within the context of Paul's argument, under the umbrella of the church, he's saying that males are the leaders. But go back to verse number 13. What is Paul's point in verse 13? Jack, read it. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. So what is Paul arguing for there? 
That's right. Paul's argument is that the authority that man has is not grounded in the fall. It's not grounded in the fall. What is it grounded in then? If it's not the fall, what is it grounded in then? Okay, I'll give it to you. The creation order. The creation order. Paul is arguing that the order in which God created established the authority. Because God created Adam first, Adam was the one that was in charge. And then Eve is given to Adam as a what? A helper. Right. And so based on that, Paul's argument is that within the context of the family, within the context of the church, the church should be led by males, the home should be led by the father because of the creation order. First Adam, then Eve. So then what does the fall bring into it? What, what does the fall bring into this um, union into this relationship. What does the fall bring into it? Arguments. Yeah, arguments. What else? Strife. What? Brings difficulties. The fall brings in, you're not telling me what to do. How about these words? You're not my boss. Come on, you've told your older brother, unless you're the firstborn. You're, you're not my what? You're not dead. Right. What? You're not dead. Right. You're not my son. Right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Let's see. Everyone in here is brothers and sisters, I think. I don't think there's any only children here. So everyone has the strife in the family relationships. What brought that strife in? Sin. That's right. Sin. There's no indication prior to this that Eve was struggling to be in charge. Adam existed before Eve existed. Adam had already named animals. There was already a period of time in which Adam was exercising authority in some form or fashion. And then Eve is created and it's natural for her to be led by Adam. Because neither one of them have sin in their lives at this moment. There's not a problem. Paragraph number two in our fall argument. Lucas. In Genesis 3, the reader meets a talking serpent described as the most cunning of all animals. At this point, neither Adam nor Eve nor the reader knows that the serpent is Satan, the enemy of God. Revelation 12, 19 describes him as the great dragon that was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Satan and his angels suggest that God created Satan as an angel and that he fell from a position of innocence to guilt. Okay, so are these angelic beings created before Adam and Eve? You say no? Okay, right. Do these angelic beings, are they made from dust of the earth? No. No. Right. 
So I'm arguing that there's quite a bit of envy. And there's quite a bit of envy between whom and whom. Yeah, the angelic beings and man. Because here's Adam being set up as this vice regent of the earth. King of the earth. Remember, think about before the fall. He's, he's the father of the earth. He's in charge. He's been given dominion of the earth. He's been told to be fruitful and multiply and populate the earth. Just own the earth. God's going to dwell on the earth. Adam's going to dwell on the earth. And it's going to be wonderful. And this angelic being that seems to have a pre-existence to Adam is angry, jealous, envious, Wants whose place? Adam's. <clears throat> right. Is the angelic being made in the image and likeness of God? No. And suddenly Adam is. So from the angelic, the fallen angelic's being, Adam looks more like God than he does. Now whatever that means is beyond our comprehension, but he's made in the image and the likeness of God. And he's doing God-like things. What's he doing? Naming animals. Exercising dominion. Taking charge. Going to be fruitful. Going to multiply. Do angels, are angels fruitful? Do they multiply? No, they don't. And now Adam's going to be able to create an, a family. There's no angel that's ever created a family. I'm trying to get you guys to understand a little bit of the backstory. Of, of why this angelic being comes in here with this envy. Now, Jack, what we don't know is when the angelic being fell. When the angelic being rebelled. And what makes this really difficult to wrap our brains around is if the angelic being fell before he went into the garden, then what reasonable question can be asked? Go, Bryson. Why didn't God kick him out? Yeah, exactly. Why didn't God keep him out? Because the garden was perfect. There was no sin in the garden. Everything was good. Okay? Adam could handle a lion and a viper and a rabbit and a mosquito and have no fear of any of them biting him. You track where I'm going with this. Okay? These are all results of the fall. So when I preached this sermon, I argued that the fall of Satan happened just seconds before or moments before or a short period before the fall of Adam. In other words, what I was arguing for, Bethany, is that he didn't go into the garden fallen. He fell in the garden. Do you understand what I mean? He chose to rebel against God's divine command by influencing man to fall. So his fall was pre-Adam's fall, but I'm not thinking that it's huge periods of time before Adam. I'm thinking it's a short period of time. Uh, imagine him coming into this room right here, fully on board with God's plan, until he sees the elevated status of Adam. 
and all that God's doing in and through Adam and Eve. And I'm arguing that that sin or envy or jealousy. And again, people disagree with me on this. No one disagrees that that Satan fell. Where's the disagreement? When? Yes, exactly. When? Okay. <clears throat> Paragraph three. Who's got it? When Satan fell, is up for debate. Debate. The author believes it happened in the Garden of Eden when Satan saw Adam, the creation God made in God's image and likeness, the being that God gave dominion over the earth. Adam occupied the position of authority that Satan desired, and Satan sought out to dethrone Adam, God's image bearer on the planet. Okay, does that sentence make sense to you guys? Does that small paragraph make sense to y'all? Jack, are you getting what I'm saying? Right. <coughs> Because did, did, did Satan have a kingdom? No. No, nothing like this. Adam is set up. Adam's the most intelligent being on the planet. Adam is the image of God. Adam is the culmination of all that God has created in six days. It's inconceivable for us to grasp the totality of who Adam was. Does he have any physical deformities? No. Does he lack any cognitive knowledge? No. He knows all that he needs to know to be the leader on the earth. What he doesn't know, God is teaching him. There's a perfect relationship between Adam and God. Because is there any sin to interfere with the relationship? No. No. Right. All right. Paragraph four. A study. Who's got it? A study of Satan's tactics to bring humanity down with him in a state of disobedience is helpful. First, the serpent asked Eve, not Adam, did God really say you can't eat from any tree? The serpent said any tree. Actually, God said they could eat from any tree except one. God had yet to create Eve when he gave the commandment not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Perhaps Satan went after Eve because she did not hear the commandment directly from God. Genesis 2.16 reads, The man, not the man and woman, or both. Eve added to what God had said. She told the serpent they were not to touch it. But God did not say anything about touching it. Next, the serpent lied. Eve said that they would die if they ate or touched the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden. The serpent prayed on this confusion and said, you will not surely die. This bold lie created a choice for you. Trust God, what God said or believe Satan's lie. The serpent said eating the forbidden fruit would make her like God, but Adam and Eve were already like God. They were made in his, his image, both male and female. Eve chose to believe a lie. She was deceived. When Eve touched the fruit and did not die, as she thought, the conditions were set for her to eat it. All right, let's stop. Let's really grasp what we're saying here. If you believe, Bryson, that you touch something, you're going to die because you have misinformation, and then you touch it, and nothing happens. What happens? You might as well eat it because it's not that dangerous. Well, you told me that if I touch it, I'm going to die. 
and I went like that. Probably wouldn't trust the person who told you that anymore. Right. Because you told me if I touch it, I'm going to die. And did I touch it? And did I die? And Satan, the serpent, is telling me. And by the way, does he have? A, is he red with a big pitchfork? Is that is that what he kind of looks like at this point? No, no. All those ridiculous images are completely false. So he he doesn't have that. Does she see him as a threat? Why not? She doesn't know what the threat is. Back at 1135. No. Last class. No. No. Um. So does does she does she see this as a threat? Mm-hmm. Why not? There are probably other snakes on the side. Right. Is anything a threat to her in the garden? No. Has there been any threat to her? No. No. She's never had a threat. So here's having this conversation, and he is actively working to do what to her? To deceive her into disobeying. Obviously he knows so he takes advantage of this. When he touched the fruit and did not eat as she thought the conditions were set for her to eat it, Eve thought that eating it would bring wisdom and knowledge beyond what she and Adam presently had. They would now know both good and evil. Eve shared the fruit with Adam. He ate. Both of them fell from a state of innocence before God to a position of being guilty of violating the single dietary restriction he gave them. So let me ask you, is this really about eating a piece of fruit? No. No. This is not about eating a piece of fruit. What is this about? What is this really about? What is, in the grand scheme of the larger picture, this is a symbolic representation of something. What is it representing? God or... God or... Me, yeah. God or me. God said, and I can either obey or... Yeah. I mean, that's your choice every day, all day long. Is it easy? Yeah. You say yes? Mm-hmm. It is easy? Do you say yes, it is? What is it most difficult for you? What, what, are, what are the conditions when it's most difficult for you? Is it your mom? Is it your dad? Is it your obnoxious kid brother or sister? When, when is it the most difficult for you to be Christ-like, for you to do what you know the Holy Spirit is wanting you to do? Is it when you're hungry? Is it when you're exhausted? Is it when is it the morning? Is it the afternoon? Are you a night person? Are you an evening person? Is it when there's a peer group? Is it, is it an annoying scenario? When, it, when do you struggle the most? Okay, all of them? Most of the time, yes. Okay. No one else struggles. Just nothing but a bunch of righteous people in the room. Amazing. I was going to say siblings, but she's... Okay. 
Probably him mainly. But you're not annoying, right? No, of course not, right. Lucas, when's the struggle for you? Is it your mom? Is it your dad? Is it the scenarios? Is it when you're hungry? What? What? Certain scenarios mainly. Yeah. Uh, you know, like when I'm around certain people. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. Jack, you struggle more when your dad's away or when your dad's here? When he's away. Okay. Is that because of his presence keeping you in check, or what? What? What creates the difference? Always helps to have him around, and then just helps share the load of all the younger siblings. Mm-hmm. Jay. You're the firstborn, right? Yes. And he's the only boy, so. And he's the only male. Yes. Save dad. What why why are we even having this conversation? Why why does this even matter? Why are we even having this conversation? Why does this even matter to think about the scenarios where I struggle the most? So we can recognize them and fix them? Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I know that in this scenario, it's going to be harder for me to be like Christ. I know in this scenario, it's harder for me to keep my focus correct. I mean, she lost her way. Do you all get that? She lost her way. She was obeying God until he comes into the equation and starts talking in her ear. Causing her to question, did God really say that? Is this really what I'm expected to do? And there's this rationalization process going back and forth in her mind. I want to be like God. Maybe I misunderstood. Maybe I didn't hear it right. Maybe I didn't get it right. Maybe I don't have to be Christ-like. Maybe it's okay for me to be angry in this one situation. And on and on and on. The fall of man brought what? Last paragraph from the bottom. Yeah, consequences. According to Romans chapter 5, verse 12, sin and death entered the world. What is sin? What is sin? Anything we think sin and do that goes against God. Yeah, it's a violation of God's moral law. Okay? And obviously we know that there's both a spiritual death and a physical, physical death. Pick it up, Bethany. Both? Both would need to be defeated to restore man's relationship with God. God had not lied, and now man would have to die. The eyes of Adam and Eve were open to evil, and they knew they were naked. They felt shame and guilt and hid from God among the trees of the garden. The serpent's mission was complete. The beings that perfectly reflected and represented God in the garden were no longer perfect. They each were co culpable for their individual choice. All right, let's back the train up. What is that word, culpable? Responsible. Yeah, yeah. Whose fault was it? Theirs. Theirs. Right. Do they accept that? No. No, not at all. They struggle with this. All right, keep reading. In this state of disobedience, God came calling, asking, where are you? God knew where they were. His voice brought accountability. They would need to answer for their sin. Each played the blame game. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. To this day, humans have, 
humans default to the blame game. They seldom take full responsibility for their moral choices and behavior. How do you do on that? How do you do on that last sentence? Could you give yourself a score on how you do on that? How do you do on taking full responsibility for your moral choices? Maybe a three or four out of ten. Okay. Might be a seven. I think so. All right, we got a little sibling rivalry going on right here. All right. I'm honest when I get caught. You're honest when you get caught. All right, Jaden. When I get caught. Oh, never What? Probably three or four. Three or four. I'd say that's ten. Three or four. Depends on. The scenario. I didn't do it, Christian. He wouldn't clean up the maple syrup. He's still all over. It was his fault. Well, uh, all right. Why does this matter? Why does this matter? Why? Why would you even care about this? What? What? What's? Why is this even of a concern? What are the scenarios where this would be of a concern to you? Right, I'll try to give you a few. You get into a marriage relationship and the spouse that you marry, the man you marry, the woman that you marry won't ever take responsibility for their failures. Won't take culpability. Won't take ownership. It's not my problem. It's not my fault. How well is that marriage going to go? Think, think about how well is that marriage going to go if both parties, male and female, won't take ownership of their own sin. Not good. How will you ever get anything reconciled? Somebody's gonna be able to admit anything. Everything's just gonna be done by the ghost or something. They seldom take full responsibility for their moral choices and behavior. I want you to think about a boss that you work for who makes no mistakes, who's perfect, who never's wrong. How's that gonna work? It's always somebody else's fault. Will you enjoy working for a person like that? If they're actually perfect. But there's none perfect, right? So we're not talking about somebody who's actually perfect. We're talking about someone who won't take what? Responsibility. Right, for what? Yes. Exactly. So the question is, what kind of person are you becoming? If you're a four right now, where should you be next year? Right. If you don't begin to do it now, when will you do it? If you won't own up to your failure, your incompetency, your poor choice. I'm the one that stayed up late and didn't do my work. I'm the one that's the reason we're late is because of me. I mean, you can just go on and on a scenario. The reason there's no money in the checking book, book is because I'm spending too much money. I mean, you can just go on and on. The reason the dishes are full in the sink is because I don't feel like washing dishes. So I take the plates out, I use them, and I throw them in, and I get more plates out, and I never see the idea that somebody has to wash these dishes. 
Can you imagine how difficult it would be to be married to somebody who won't take responsibility for their own sin? How many say, that's the kind of spouse I want to marry? Man, I'm, that, that sounds like a great relationship. If it doesn't start now when you're 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, when will it start? When you're an adult and it's pretty much too late. I don't know that it'll start when you're an adult. There's nothing magical that happens when you turn 18. There's nothing that changes you. There's no pill that you take and suddenly you become a responsible person. Who you are now as a teenager is very reflective of who you're going to be as an adult. So begin to make small choices. Of what? Change. Let's look in chapter number 3 of Genesis. Let's read the text so we can see exactly how bad this is. Chapter 3 of Genesis. Let's look at verse number 8. Verse 8 says, Then the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening. Now, what, what is clearly a reality if they knew the sound of the Lord walking? Had it happened before? Yes. Enough that they would what? Exactly. Okay. And they what? Hid. They hid from Yahweh God among the trees of the garden. So Yahweh God called out to man and said to him, Where are you? Jack, verse 10. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Then Yahweh asked him, Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Jack? The man said, The woman whom you gave me gave to be with me. She gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Okay. So there's some, there's some serious culpability, right? He takes real ownership of his own sin, doesn't he? No. Not at all. Whose fault is this? No, from Adam's perspective, whose fault is this? It's God's fault. This would not have happened if you had not given me a woman, a wife. This wouldn't have happened. God, you gave me this scenario. This is your fault. How many of you think you would sin less if you didn't have brothers and sisters? Yeah, but it, I mean, a tiny bit. Yeah, a tiny bit. Okay, no, I don't know. 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 Verse 13. Then Yahweh Elohim asked the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, 
What's she say, Bethany? The serpent deceived me and I ate. So how does she do on culpability? She blamed the serpent. Yeah. So is anybody taking responsibility for their actions? No. No. Now think about this the next time there's an opportunity for you to choose ownership or not. Ask yourself, am I playing the blame game? Do I project it onto someone else or I take, do I take ownership of myself? You see it? Because that's what's going on in this text. And then we go into verse 14 forward. What is the rest of 14 forward? All the consequences for what? Their sin. All right. Let's go back to our yellow paragraph. Page 16, the yellow paragraph. <clears throat> the fall changed everything. Would humans forever be making coverings for their nakedness? What, what, what is that sentence talking about there? Would humans forever be making coverings for their nakedness? Coverings for their sin? Yeah, but what's the even the larger question behind that? Come on, I'm asking you guys to be philosophers this morning. Would they always be insane? Yeah. Is there any hope? Is this, is this irreconcilable? Is this fall so significant that can we ever get back to the garden? Is there, is there any hope that we're ever going to a pre-fall day? Is, are we now permanently marred in sin and death? Has, is everything lost? You could ask it like this. Is there any hope? Is, is it all gone? Are we permanently in this state? No. Would they always hide from the presence of God in a state of guilt? Immediately, God decreed consequences for first the serpent, and second Eve, and third Adam. The serpent was cursed, verse 14. There would be hostility between him and the woman and their offspring. Childbearing would be forever painful and the husband and wife relationship would be fraught with difficulties and struggles. The good ground that God made was now cursed. Working it would require painful labor. Thorns and thistles, man would live by the sweat of his brow and eventually, what would he do? Yeah, he died. And this cycle would just continue with seemingly endlessly. Men would be born, men would work hard, they would live by the sweat of the brown, they would die, and more men would be born, and they too would work, and this cycle would just continue. And for most of the world, that's their life right there. With no hope, none. Why do they have no hope, Bethany? Yes, they have no hope of a God who created them. They have no hope of a 
four-part plan or giant four-part movement that started with what? Creation and the reality of the what? The fall. And then, then the promise of what? Redemption. Redemption from what? From the fall. And then the larger and greater promise of a what? Restoration. Yeah, a new what? A new creation. A restoration of all that was lost from the what? From the fall. This four-part movement, one creation, two the fall, three redemption, four new creation, or open parentheses, restoration. This is exclusively Christian. Exclusively Christian. Jews do not believe in this. Hindus do not believe in this. Muslims do not believe in this. This is purely a Christian idea. In the Eastern religions, Taiwan and etc., that whole region, what do they believe in? Reincarnation. And it's this cycle of dying and coming back. Cycle of dying and coming back. You used to be a cockroach. Then you became a mouse, and you were a really good mouse, so you became a monkey, and you were an amazing monkey, so eventually you became a human. And then you weren't a very good human, so you had to die and become a human again. And you did that over and over again until you were a really good human. And finally, you could arrive beyond this. You're looking at me like I'm crazy, Bethany. Like that's a ridiculous idea, right? But that's a very common thought. And that seems so ridiculous that then the world abandons that and decides just pure atheism. What's pure atheism? Yeah, Bryson. There is no God. Yeah, and yeah, but it's even larger than that in the sense of there's nothing more. Life consists of being born, living, and dying, and that's all. And there's no hope. Forever in this cycle of dust to dust. <clears throat> but the same God, I'm at the bottom of the page, four sentences up, but the same God issued judgment showed showed what? Mercy. Mercy. Adam and Eve were exiled from the garden to keep them from eating from the tree of life and living forever in this fallen state. Before God banished them to the cursed world, He clothed them with skins that would endure the harsh world and gave them a promise of hope. Now what did the clothing that God provided, what did it represent? What was it representing in a larger sense? What? Salvation. Yes, salvation. Yes. And in particular, what aspect of salvation? And in particular, what aspect of salvation? And in particular, what aspect of salvation? Christ Yes, and what does Christ give you from himself? What does he give you? His blood. What? His blood. His blood. What does Christ give you? 
Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at the very last verse in the chapter. Chapter 5, look at the very last verse. And it's so filled with pronouns that it makes it a little bit difficult to follow it. Verse 21 says, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. So let's start dissecting the antecedents of our pronouns. Who's the he? It's not Jesus. Who's the He? God. God. It's God the Father. Good. You're right. God the Father made the one. Who's the one who did not know sin? Adam. No. Jesus. Jesus. Yes, Jesus. So God made Jesus, who did not know sin, to be sin for what your Bible say? Us. Us. Who's the us? Mankind. Yes, it's mankind, but let's narrow it down even more particularly. When Paul says us, who's he talking about? Yes, believers. Other believers. Made sin for us. Now look at what it says. So that in him, Jack, finish it please. We might become the righteousness of God. Exactly. So that animal skin that God shed when blood was shed, that, that ram, lamb, whatever God used, goat, whatever God used, when he cut that and he ripped that skin apart and he made them skins that they could wear, all that was a foreshadowing of what? Christ's righteousness. Yes. Christ died. The animal died. Christ shed his blood. The animal shed blood. That animal became a covering. And what covering do you receive from Christ? His righteousness. Like a jacket. Those of you guys have seen me illustrate this two or three times on a Sunday morning when I've taken a jacket and I've put it on somebody. Not their own jacket. It's the jacket they got from Christ. That jacket is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So over here is the animal skin and over here is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And Adam was clothed in Christ clothes us. Giving us an incredible amount of hope. So again, the Bible verse reads, God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in Jesus we, plural pronoun, those who believe the gospel might become the righteousness of God. God making us righteous. So if we look at the last sentence, he clothed them with skins that would endure the harsh world and gave them a promise of hope. What's the promise of hope? Genesis 3.15. What's the promise of hope? 
Yes, that Eve would give birth to a male child who ultimately would be the one that would do what to the serpent? Yeah, I want you to pause for a minute and I want you to imagine how hatred you would have of the serpent. Here you are, you were in this beautiful garden. Think about the most beautiful garden you've ever been in your entire world. Bush Gardens has beautiful gardens. I don't know where you've been that have beautiful gardens. A perfect utopia of a world. And then Satan comes in and he's the culpable reason why you are out of here. How much animosity would you have towards Satan? Well, lots of it. Yes. Not a little. Not a little. That's correct. And then there's this promise that somebody's going to kick his head in. And I have no doubt that Eve thought it was going to happen in her own what? Yes, her own lifetime. No doubt. She couldn't conceive of anything beyond that. This promise of good knowledge is called the Proto-Evangelum. Derives its origin from the first mention of good news. That's the idea there. Turn it to Revelation 22 and we'll be done. Look at Revelation 22 and we'll be done. Either 22 or the end of 21. Okay, I'm looking for the reference to the tree. The reference to the tree. You guys help me out. Start looking through 21 or 22. Looking for anything that references a tree. What verse number is it? In 22, there's a reference to the tree of life. Yep. First. That's what I'm looking for. In verse 2. In what? Verse 2. Verse 2. Yep, there it is. Yep. Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, and down the middle of the city's main street, Bam! There it is. What? The tree. The tree of life. life. So we're back. Man, tree to tree. Genesis chapter number two, there's a tree of life. Revelation 22, there's a tree of life. And we have went through the cycle of Creation, fall, redemption, new creation. Tree to tree. And you want to be there. You want to be there. You want to be part of the tree to tree. You want to see that tree of life. And you'll find that in Christ Jesus. So don't stop serving Him. Don't ever stop serving Him. Alright, let me give you your homework and we're done.